All right, good evening, Mosaic. How are you guys? You guys good? Oh man, it's gonna be an awesome night. You guys wanna stand up? I wanna encourage you guys with something. You know, in Revelation 12, it, it, it talks about the church will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And what's cool about tonight, kind of being stripped down, that we get to respond to the Lord with the word of our testimony. And we're gonna sing songs about grace tonight and songs about mercy and what Christ has done for us. You guys good with that? All right, let's do it. Let's sing, I search the world. I search the world. But it could
let's declare that together. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing, nothing is better than you. Yeah, amen. Come on, can we give you praise for that tonight? Yeah. Welcome, Mosaic. It's good to see you all here tonight. Um, you'll have to bear with me. I was at a wedding earlier today, and so I'm just like giddy and full of joy. So it's really, really wonderful to see you all here. Uh, my name is Josh Rains. Um, some of you may know my father, uh, Dr. Doug Rains. Uh, we like to throw that around the house a little bit. Um, if you're new, uh, we've got a link here you can follow at mosaicnwa.org slash I'm new. We would love to get to know you and to invite you into this family that we have. Um, if you want to stay connected with us, uh, whatever news, whatever's going on, got the link in the middle, uh, and then we got ways to give online as well. Um, I want to transition a little bit here. Uh, let's all just take a second to pause, take a deep breath. We've been doing these prayer pauses. Um, pretty regularly. And so tonight we're going to go through your kingdom come and your will be done. Um, for myself, I've been in a season of what submission looks like for about a year. So it's interesting that I got asked to do, um, to kind of lead this. Um, and to do this, um, this idea of God's kingdom coming, um, for his kingdom to come, I have to yield whatever claim I have on my kingdom, right? My kingdom, my reign, and my rule over my life, I have to give that up. I have to submit that. We all have to submit that, right? We have to surrender to his kingdom. God invites us to submit to him through his loving authority because he knows what's best for us. He knows better than I do. I know this so, so well. He comes to us as a humble king with an invitation, not as a raging tyrant who's trying to force us into submission. I was preparing for this, and, and there's a podcast I was listening to. Um, this lady was talking about submission. She says, forced submission isn't submission at all. It's slavery. And that's not God's character towards us. That's not his attitude towards us. He comes us in humility and invites us into this. Instead, he places before us a choice uh, of life and death on a daily basis, right? And he encourages us to choose life. But before we can choose life, um, we have to have a solid foundation and a correct view of who God is, right? We have to trust him, right? How we view God will determine whether we trust him or not. If he is not good, I'm not gonna trust him. I'm not gonna submit to a God who isn't good. I just won't, right? Because I know better. So there are two things we have to be sure of before we begin this, this posture of submission, right? We have to be sure of God's goodness. We also have to be sure of our brokenness and our, and the, our flesh's corruptedness. 
and that he knows better. How often do, I, do we all not trust God that he wants what's best for us? How often do we think that we do know better? Little insight into my story, if you don't know me. Um, I struggled with drug addiction for 10 plus years. Um, it was always what I wanted to do, master manipulator, master liar. I could convince you that, that my way was the best. I wanted to rule my kingdom. In fact, if you would let me, I would rule yours too. If you would. It was my way or the highway all the time. To the point of, I destroyed my life. Destroyed my marriage. I destroyed my relationship with my family, my friends. To the point where I was homeless in a car, looking for answers. And God brought me to a place called John 316 Ministries. It's out in Northeast Arkansas. Right, long term, six months to a year, admitted myself there. And there's a guy there <laughs> that I'm very appreciative of. He, he, he hammered something in my brain. He said, be careful of your own thinking. Be careful of relying on your own will because the best that you could do in your own life, the very best you could do making decisions on your own ended you up right here, homeless and rehab. So for myself, it's really, really easy to recognize, oh God, you definitely, definitely know better than I do, right? We all have to start there. So tonight, I think I just wanna start and, and, and invite you guys to think about what's one thing, one area where I, when I think about it, I go, God, I'll give you everything, but, but not that, <laughs> not that thing. Um, that, that's, that's mine. So I want, to th I want us to think about what's just one thing that we are resistant to allow the, the, the Lord into. And if we can, can we take a posture of submission tonight? Um, we did this a while back, and, and I would love if I can invite you guys to either just open arms as we begin to enter the space with the Lord, or even better, what if we kneeled in front of him uh, as we did this? As we process what it looks like to submit to the Lord. So let's enter this posture real quick. I'm gonna kneel here, if that's cool with you guys. Let's pause, close our eyes. Breathe slowly. Recenter and refocus on the presence of God right now. Lord, would you remind us of the times that we have tasted your goodness? Remind us of the things in our life where you have been good to us so we may trust you and submit to you. you remind us that you are who you say you are and that you want what's best for us. Lord, would you correct any misconceptions that I may have and we all have about your character? Would you illuminate the darkness that's within us that we need, what we need to face and we need to give up? 
I want us to go back to that, that one thing, that, that, that one thing tonight that we may be holding on to. So Lord brings this to your mind. In this posture of submission, can we take a second to be bold enough to invite him into that space and, and to, to let go of control of whatever that is? Lord, would you take control of these things from us? Lord, would you refine us as we surrender to your will? Would you purge those things from us that cause us to resist you and to cling to control? Lord, we, know, we understand that only through your power can we be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may think and live differently that our life may look differently, that we may look more like you, we be conformed more into your image. Father, would you have mercy on us when we fall short, when our flesh gets the better of us, when I submit to my will and not yours? You say that blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So Lord, would you humble our hearts, soften our heart and hearts towards you. In this time of reflection, Lord, would you just continue to remind us on a daily basis of your goodness so that every day can open up. We can invite you into more spaces where we are resistant, more spaces where we're, we're clinging, clinging into control that we don't want to give up. That through your loving kindness, we understand you are good. You want good for us. this decision before us on every day. You lay before us the choice of life or death and you encourage us to choose life because you want us to do life with you. We don't have to do this alone. Thank you so much that you, you pull us in and you draw us near to you and that we get to do life with you you say that eternal life is to know the Father. So may we get to know you on a daily basis. Lord, we love you.
forgiving, okay?
can have a seat as you read over the scripture. Hmm. Can we read this scripture together, guys? It's Romans 12, one through two. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And people said, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Hey, thank you all so much for leading in worship. We really appreciate that. Jared and Cheney, everybody. Thank you. Yeah, Give a round of the hand. Take some skill to do that. Josh, thank you for sharing earlier too and sharing your story and reading the scripture. We really appreciate that. Um, hello, my name is Kyle Jackson. Uh, some of y'all might have met me last week. I shared a little bit about my story. I've been around fellowship for about the last five or so years and just recently moved into the Mosaic Sunday Night Worship Team Leader role, and I am very excited about it. And thank you for the privilege to share God's word tonight with you tonight. Um, so I'm gonna share a little bit about myself, some fun facts, we'll see if this works. So I am from Hot Springs, um, Central Arkansas. Uh, it's an interesting place, we call it the Spa City, fun fact. I love music, surprise, surprise. I love songwriting and recording and listening to music. I am the classic definition of a hipster, I guess what we would have said back in the day. I don't think that's a cool term anymore. Um, so I, I'm now uncool because of that, but I do love coffee and records, especially at the same time. I think it's a great combination. And I do drive a Jeep, and it is a personality type is the reason why I say that. I'm discovering that. Um, I loved this week. I actually took the top off of it, and it was just a blast. So that's a little bit about me. This, I have, a, I have a wife and a son named Meredith and Graham, and there are some beautiful pictures of them. I love them. It is a good thing he looks like his mom. He has her eyes and her blonde hair, and um, I'm gonna share a little bit about them. This is uh, what Meredith loves to do. She loves to read. She also loves coffee. She loves walks. She loves helping others, and she loves motherhood. She's a great mom, and she um, has really becoming a pro at it. And this is what Graham loves to do. Graham also loves to read. Graham does not love coffee. Um, I haven't given it to him, I'm just assuming. Um, I don't think it's a healthy thing to give a one-year-old coffee. He does love walks. Uh, we have, we, he calls them rides, so he's not actually walking on the walks, but um, he does love them. And he is a silly goose. Uh, so yeah, he's a, he is so funny. And he has been the joy of my life the last year, um, especially uh, watching us grow as a family. It's been a gift. So let's go ahead and get started. Uh, oh, how did these get in here? Here's some more cute pictures. Oh, sorry, sorry about that. I don't know. I don't know what happened there. Uh, okay, let's start. Tonight, 
We're gonna dive into God's word and we're gonna talk about worship, but I would love to recap a little bit of what Nick shared last week as we're diving into this series called Grow Together. And we learned that the ultimate purpose at Fellowship Bible Church is to glorify God. And we do this, our, our, our vision for this is to change the heart and soul of Northwest Arkansas and the world and our prayers to accomplish this vision by doing this mission, to produce and release spiritual leaders who know and express the authentic Christ to Northwest Arkansas and the world. And Nick zoomed in really on what it meant to produce and release spiritual leaders and covered a lot about discipleship. Um, And this week, we're really gonna dive into what it means to, to be a people who know and express the authentic Christ. In other words, in the midst of disciple making, where does our worship and our service come into play? It's our hope as a staff that our disciples and disciple makers really will have a truly deep relationship with God. It's in fact true that to become a disciple of Jesus means we must learn how to worship him. When you think of the word worship, what comes to mind? Anything? There might be some wounding there. There might be some great moments there. Um, Let yourself process that question tonight. And as you're processing, I'd love to share this quote from our, we love to quote this guy around here, C.S. Lewis. He said, in the process of being worship, God communicates his presence to men. The process of being worship, God communicates his presence to men. So let's take a quick glance at how our worship was looked at in the ancient Near East and how we've gotten to where we were today. So we're gonna track this just briefly. So worship, and as we read earlier in the passage, we're gonna talk a little bit about sacrifice. It has a lot to do with each other. So I do think it's important that we trace this And really, as I was diving into this, I learned that a lot of uh, biblical scholars have kind of pointed to the fact that sacrifice was really seen as kind of this world religious phenomenon back in the day. Um, In our modern world, especially in the West, we can tend to think of religion in terms of a system of belief or a way of living. Um, And throughout history, we learned that these ancient people were pretty obsessed with sacrifice, Um, the killing and offering of animals, and even occasionally humans to their gods. Uh, this was the focal point of how they worshiped back in the ancient times. We actually do see this all over the Old Testament. Um, we see Abraham offering his, son, uh, offering his son Isaac up to God. We see the Israelites offering their best animals or birds or grain or whatever they would have. And we even see um, some offerings of blood up to God. Um, it's a really strange practice to think about, isn't it? how this physical giving up of ourselves is, is what God required um, for worship. And we actually see this in Hosea uh, 6, that um, God in his grace is gonna give Moses the law of Leviticus, and he explains how his people were to properly worship him in order for God to remain close to them. God was holy and required his people to be holy, but this is the main point of what I think the prophets were trying to communicate in the Old Testament. Essentially, God wants us to understand that he requires sacrifices as a part of his law, but what the prophets really helped us to understand is that his requirement was for the people of God to offer the sacrifices with a pure heart. So this is from Hosea 6. For I desire faithful love and not sacrifice, for the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. This is from Isaiah 1. What are, you, what are all your sacrifices to me, asked the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of well-fed cattle. I have no desire for the blood of bulls, lambs, or male goats. 
Worship still feels kind of confusing, doesn't it? Um, there's so many different ways that we even in our modern times see people uh, worshiping God. And I think it can be fairly um, confusing to know exactly how we're to enter into that, especially when we read about sacrifice and how it pertained to the Old Testament. Um, have no fear though, because the Israelites were actually pretty confused in their worship too. This is from Micah chapter six. What should I bring before the Lord when I come to bow down before God on high? Should I come to him with burnt offerings, with year old calves? Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 streams of oil? Should I give my firstborn for many transgressions, the offspring of my body for my own sin? Mankind has told each of us, each of you what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to act justly, love faithfulness, and walk humbly with God. And I think the psalmist said it best in Psalm 51, when he said, you do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You're not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart. And the main point I think I want us to understand when tracing this sacrifice is that, that God looks at our hearts when we worship him. God is looking at the inside. It's not physically what we have, but it's inside what we're, what we're doing. So this brings us to the text for the day. Um, and we read it earlier, and I, I'd love to read it again just to help us wrap our brains around it. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. And Romans 12, one through two is really one of the best known passages in the Bible. Did anybody know that by memory when I said Romans 12? It's okay to raise your hand. Yeah, Travis, thank you for raising your hand. Very humble of you. Um, why do you think that is? Why do you think people want to know this verse so much? Do you think it's because God's people want to know how to properly worship him? Maybe we're really stressed out about getting it right. Maybe we're, we're kind of like the Israelites in the Old Testament. We, we really know we're supposed to be doing it, but we don't understand how. We, we don't know what for. In this passage, um, Paul is gonna be writing, and I think Romans 12 is the biggest help for us to understand what it means to worship in our modern context. And historically speaking, Paul is writing from Corinth through his scribe Tertius, and he just finished his most important stage of his missionary work, and he exclaims that he's fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Can you believe that? That's an amazing statement to say. And by this time, Paul has really hammered out his theology. This letter was written after years and years of ministry and church planning, and thus the book of Romans was born. It's full of doctrine, which is why we really love this book here at Fellowship. We know that the Jews that are receiving this letter from Rome are among those who actually saw the pouring out of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And if you wanna look that up, it's Acts chapter two, verse 10 and verse 41. It's really cool. Um, and Paul briefly touches on this practical significance of these doctrines, such as justification, assurance of salvation, righteousness, obedience, and those are all very Christianese words for saying that God is good to us. And in chapter 12, Paul is gonna pivot um, in light of the Arkansas basketball games recently. We're pivoting. Um, he turns his full attention to the practical and spiritual implications of the gospel. We're getting practical tonight. We're gonna learn what it means to worship. So let's start in verse one. If you wanna turn there in your Bibles, feel free to, to join me. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, 
to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. When Paul starts his sentence with therefore, he's referring back to look and see what it's, any good? Therefore, that's right, some good scholars in here, good exegetical people. Um, Paul's emphasizing his point here. He's trying to answer these questions. So what? With all, these, all that you've said through chapters one through 11, what are we supposed to do with this? What are we doing, Paul? Um, it's important to understand because uh, we're gonna look at this phrase in view of God's mercies. And um, this mercies in the Greek is actually plural. Um, it's interesting to look at. Uh, and, and this plural use of this word mercies is important to understand because it's essentially uh, points to not just one specific work that Christ has done but pointing to most of and all of the work that Christ has done in the past. The whole story of the gospel, we get to freely celebrate all that Christ is and we get to worship him in the light of the mercy that he's extended to us. So this is pretty good proof that Paul's pointing back to the the beginning of the book here. And in in Romans 1 through 11, here's kind of what we capture. Uh, Because of the gospel, we have hope in the blood of Christ. There's no reconcil- there is reconciliation for all people through the blood of Christ. We're no longer slaves to brokenness of this world, but we're free through Christ. There's no condemnation in Jesus, but grace to know God personally. We're rescued from the law. And I think the main idea Paul's trying to communicate in those uh, chapters is that um, we need to worship God through the lens of his mercy and his grace. It's kind of like the glasses that we put on. It's a classic illustration, but it really is the way that we're viewing our worship. Suddenly, when we put these glasses on, things become clear. We understand. So now that we have our brain wraps around how we should be thinking about worship, um, let's look at the second part of this verse. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Let's continue on this journey with the Israelites here to figure out what it means to worship. He says that our true and proper worship is when we present our bodies to God, holy and pleasing, which is your act of spiritual worship. And I think we're gonna dive into this word true, and I think what Paul wants us um, to understand here is that we're supposed to have a logical and informed kind of worship, and here's, here's how we got to that thinking. Paul uses this Greek word logikos for an understanding of this word true. This could mean things like spiritual, reasonable, true, offered by the mind and heart, and those are close. Um, Most scholars really tend to think that the best understanding or the use of this word is to actually be understood as informed or to be understanding. This word functions as an adjective. Do you notice that in this passage? It's to describe how our worship should be understood. Understanding the proper use of this word is important because of two points. And the first point is that it argues that human beings have logos, which is another word for reason. We have understanding. We have brains that work and can think. And in other words, we as human beings have this special kind of logical intuition inside of us. Have you ever felt it before? Do you know what I'm talking about? I think that Paul might be getting at this it seems like there's something inside of us that just can't help but worship God. Have you ever seen that in whenever you've gone on a hike in creation or felt that and you've been outside or seen a, a beautiful sunset, something that you just can't help but say, praise God for that, thank you. The truth is that we're always worshiping something. 
Uninformed worship feels scary and anxious. We find ourselves asking questions like, what is the goal? Who are we worshiping? Why are we doing this when we have uninformed worship? And Paul is informing our worship here. He's saying that when we worship God in light of all that he's done for us, we have an informed, healthy, and illogical worship. It's not crazy to worship. It makes sense. If only some of our ancient Israelite friends could have known this. I feel like I'm really dogging on them tonight. They, they had their, their own troubles. Um, this is a quote from an ancient philosopher, and it says, if I were a nightingale, I should sing as a nightingale. If a swan, a swan, but as it is, I am a rational being. That's logikos right there. Therefore, I must sing hymns of praise to God. In other words, because we're human, we're wired to worship. Because we are human, we are wired to worship. This means that we give our whole selves to God, our whole being, our life, our plans, our budgets, our time. You fill in the blank wherever you need to on that. When life gets crazy, we suddenly find ourselves postured before Jesus the way he intended us to be. Holy, W-H, holy his and fully willing to give over whatever could come in the way of us trusting him. We offer ourselves not ignorantly like lambs brought to the slaughter, but intelligently and willingly like children, want, children wanting to know their father more and more. I think it's important for us to dive in a little bit more on this word sacrifice. Uh, we're, we looked at it earlier a little bit, but we're gonna see it in the context that Paul is using it and he's a genius here. He's a, a cultural exegete. He's understanding the people he's writing to and when he uses this word sacrifice, he's intentionally speaking to this idea of his Jewish Christian readers would totally understand. These practices were talked about in the Torah and it was still happening amongst them even. He describes God's sacrifice as living, holy, and pleasing. And to the person who would have been reading this letter, this meant freedom. There's a new covenant in play. The veil was torn, and this means that the believer in Christ is now free from staring down the weary, anxious worship to God, like our friends experienced in the Old Testament. And it seemed very hard to, to worship in that way. God calls us living sacrifices. And Paul is writing that in a theological sense. He means what was paid for in the Old Testament had to die, and now Christ calls us to live not only to live, but to live as a sacrifice. To live as if we found ourselves atoned for and covered by the blood of Christ. Do, do you see the irony in that? We're called to be holy in the sense that we have a completely renounced way of sin and are set apart from God. We're called to be pleasing to God, acceptable sacrifices to God, in Jesus because he's given us the secret sauce to how fulfilling life of worship is. And here it is, are you ready? The secret sauce is this. When we're worshiping Jesus intelligently and logically, which means with our minds, we're worshiping him physically with our bodies, willingly, sacrificially worshiping him, but fully living by the blood of Christ, we are suddenly free to fully experience him. This kind of lifestyle worship applies to all kinds of people. The preacher, the worship leader, the professor, 
the business executive, high schoolers, our children, and even Paul the apostle himself. It's a radically different message than for the people of God than what our world is telling us. We need to put away our ancient thinking, church. Do away with what we think is, is best to physically offer to God and do away with this lifestyle of pretending to know God when we haven't actually spoken to him in years. If you call yourself a disciple of Christ or even better yet, a spiritual leader, you're called to worship him. Worship that pleases God is informed and logical. Healthy Christian worship is always logically consistent with the truth of the gospel. And we must offer our whole self and our living, our breathing, our thinking and feeling. God wants all of us. He wants relationship with us. And that's why he wants all of us. He's not just demanding it to be mean. He wants to know us. All he's asking of us is to just tell him the truth. Tell him when you're hurting. Tell him when you're happy. And tell him when you're scared and bring your whole self before him. It's safe. I can tell you from experience. Paul is describing that our worship is the same way. We have to have a reason to worship and a reason to sing. The reason that you're, you're reading scripture, the reason that you're telling others about Jesus, the reason that you're mowing your neighbor's yard, the reason that you're cooking dinner for your friends or holding babies in the nursery or rallying together even as a community group to cover someone's medical bills is because God has been so gracious to us by sending Jesus to atone for and cover our sins. It's because our worship should glorify God and focus on Jesus and all that he's done. When we live out of that, we can't help but serve others. We can't help but live out of that posture and that lens of grace. Our spiritual worship is offering up our whole life to God. It seems pretty easy, right? Very, very simple. I'm just kidding. I struggle with this, I'll admit it. Um, let's look at verse two. Let's continue on. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In order to understand verse two, there is some theological background uh, for us to set up. And some of you might've heard of this as the already not yet. And it's also known as a two-age structure that Paul sets up in Romans. And he's using this to kind of argue a lot of his points throughout the book. And I think this is important for us to understand what's happening here in verse 12 as well. Paul's two-edged structure, simply put, is this. Through Christ's death and resurrection, the new age has been inaugurated, which means this new covenant has been inaugurated, or in simpler terms, this new way of living with Christ has been inaugurated. Yet, the present evil age does not come to an end. Evil and sin still exist, and believers themselves are not yet perfected. So here we have the old way of living, Adam and the new way is Christ. Sin to righteousness, death to life, law to grace and flesh to spirit. The believer is transferred from one regime to another. We have been placed in a new situation and dominated by a new set of powers, praise the Lord. Our domination by the new powers, however, does not yet mean that we're rescued from any possible contamination by the old regime. It still exists, 
and it seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. We're not magically set apart from this world when we believe, like pixie dust comes and all of a sudden everybody knows you're a Christian and you live a better life. It's a different way of living that we have to come to understand slowly. Through our worship of God, we can have a deep and real relationship with him on earth. Therefore, we must remember that belonging to this new age that Christ has set, we must seek to live out these values of the new age. And that looks like allowing the spirit to transform our innermost thoughts and our innermost attitudes. And verse two tells us how we can carry out this heavy demand of giving ourselves over as sacrifices to the Lord. Finally, I really thought Paul was gonna leave us hanging. (laughs) He demands us that we not conform to this age, but we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. The old age to which we belonged is a pre-Christian past that exerts influence on us, but this exciting new pattern is fun to live in. It's freeing. Rather than conforming, Paul's calling us to be transformed. And some, some passages that would be good to process after this would be Ephesians 4, 2 Corinthians 4, Colossians 3, and Titus 3. We set our minds on Christ. It's a new way of thinking that leads to our, our, a new orientation and behavior. And then Paul kind of shifts again. He, he does a little bit of a pivot here and he says, and he answers the question of how do I know what the will of God is for my life? What does this have to do with worship? And here, here's my thoughts. Here's what I'm thinking he's getting at. The results of our transformation is pleasing to God and his will. And how do we accomplish all of this transformation? Through the Holy Spirit continually showing the way of Jesus. The same way a floodlight shines on a building at night. I remember uh, Cheney, and Cheney went to Washtenaw Baptist, so she'll connect with the story, but there's a building on campus. Uh, I remember studying late at night and coming back at two or 3 a.m., and just being exhausted. And then you walk by this building, it's called Barry Bible Building, and it just is overwhelming how bright it is. And you couldn't miss it. And it's the same way that Christ shines in our life. It's, it's there. So I, I, I wanna get to some very practical points of, of how we're supposed to live in this new regime and how we're really supposed to worship Christ. And the first thing I think Paul wants us to understand in this passage is that worship is all about the way we live. It's not just about what we do on a Saturday night worship service. It's so much more. There's way more behind the curtain for us. We worship God by giving ourselves in sacrificial service to the Lord. It's a spiritual kind of language. It's a spiritual kind of life. We are the embodied people of God interacting with the materialistic world. So as we eat and sweat on the treadmill at Fitness One, as we seek to avoid road rage on I-49, we're continually worshiping God. Isn't that exciting? The God who created us and saved us. What if we flip that on its head? This idea matters because when we're able to give our whole life to God and worship, it brings us into a life with God, a life with purpose and meaning, a life with God, a life with the God who knows and cares about you. The second thing I think Paul wants us to understand is that our corporate and personal worship must be informed worship. It's an identity statement. 
we're choosing to, to have an informed kind of worship and fellowship. And I, I wanna encourage you to have an informed kind of worship personally. We must know that God loves us and cares for us and he's extended a mature grace and mercy to us because of our deeply sinful way of living. This idea of informed worship matters because as human beings, we are so prone to wonder. We're so prone to worship things that leave us feeling empty and alone. I'm so capable of that, so guilty of that. If we're able to have an informed worship, we're building a steady and healthy guardrails for us to worship and experience God. It it shouldn't be the fixer of our problems. Worship shouldn't. Rather, it should be the resting place for our anxious thoughts. Whenever you're feeling overwhelmed, you can say things like, God knows what to do, I don't, so I'm gonna go worship him. And finally, informed worship renews our minds. Doesn't that sound nice, a renewed mind? A couple thoughts on this renewed mind. It's a process. Our spiritual practices are not a means to an end but rather a means to know Christ more. There's no ending for this. Our worship goes on and on and on for forever. Might as well jump in now, right? Might as well start. Our minds are renewed by his spirit and nobody else. Are you feeling good? Worship him. Are you feeling anxious? Worship him. Are you feeling scared? Worship him. Are you feeling insecure? Worship him. It's not a quick fix for our emotional pain, but a lifestyle of worship means we're constantly renewing our mind to Jesus. That is rest, that's safe. So what does this look like at Mosaic? How do we inform our worship within a community and what are the next steps for us to serve? So I have four very practical points for us to leave with and that we can actually go and do. And the first is to tell your story. Tell others how the grace of God has been real and true to you. Find someone and share. Look for those moments where you can say, God has been so good to me. The second point is to participate. Use your your mind and your body to be a part of the work that God is doing in our church and in our community. We have so many places where you can jump in and serve. We have people out in the lobby that would love to connect with you and get you plugged in somewhere. The third way that we can practically apply this here is to find someone older than you to help lead you in worship outside of our gatherings. This is one of many, many ways that we can be worshiping together in community. So that's my encouragement. Find someone who can be leading you in worship. And that's what Nick talked about last week. That's discipleship. That's a life with Jesus, with someone else. And the fourth point, the last very practical point is to lead someone else in worship. Tell them of the goodness of God in your life and the grace that he's giving, given to you. Take them to coffee and ask them, let them lead you in worship and then lead them in worship and experience the goodness of God in those moments. There's an invitation from Jesus in Matthew 11 that I'd love to close our time with. Come to me, worship me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And to close our thought, our time, my last thought is this. 
that genuine worship of God always happens in the wake of his grace. Would you pray with me? God, we love you. You are so incredibly gracious to us. Help us put on those glasses, God, to see you as a God who saved us from sin and that we can suddenly celebrate in light of all that you've done. We love you, God, and pray these things in your name. Amen. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest, and without you, I fall apart, you're the
This is one last time we sing out this chorus. Here's my heart. Here's my heart, Lord. Yeah. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. that is our cry tonight. God, we bask in your mercy for us, your grace that covers us. God, and we walk out of this room victorious because of the blood of the Lamb. God, we praise you for it tonight. Jesus, we praise you for your grace. We worship you with our lives more than a song. We love you, Jesus. We pray all these things in Christ's name, amen. Hey, you guys are awesome. If you need prayer, we'll have guys down here that can pray with you. If you have questions, there's people out the lobby. Hey, would you guys read this slide with me? Uh, let us go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Love you guys.